Good evening. We come here this evening to begin another time of Lectio Divina. I have been leading these sessions in either the Cathedral at Edmonton when I was there or the Cathedral in Toronto now for about 12 or 13 years and have at different times uh, meditated upon various portions of the Holy Scriptures. Um, it always ends, has to be 10 of something because we have 10 months. We don't have this in July and August, so we try 10 of something. So um, we've done 10 parables and 10 psalms and 10 commandments, and uh, we have done from time to time, we've taken different passages. I have once uh, gone through a whole book of the Bible, and that is the letter of James, where the whole in one sequence reflect upon one whole book of the Bible, but it's a short book, only five chapters. And so I prayed and reflected on what passages to choose for this year, for these 10 Sunday evenings. And I thought that we should pray the Gospel of Mark. I have never done this before. We have had portions of Gospels. The very first year in Toronto, uh, we did the Sermon on the Mount, which is, of course, from Matthew's Gospel, and many different passages from different Gospels. The Ten Parables were from Gospels. But a whole Gospel. You know, I think we should do this. I think we need this. I know I need this. I think we do. And my mind went back to a little book that I used to hand out, I get stacks of them and hand them out to my seminarians. When I was uh, in my former life as a spiritual director in a seminary, and that is a little book, a very good book on prayer called Beginning to Pray by the Russian Orthodox Archbishop Anthony Bloom. And he describes in his, uh, in his sort of life story at the beginning of the book, how as a young man, he began to lose his faith and began to drift away from his Christian tradition. Uh, and yet he thought, I'll give the Lord one more chance. And so he decided to pick the shortest gospel and he'd read a gospel. And then if that didn't bring him closer to his faith, he'd leave and he'd become an atheist or whatever. And so he began to read the gospel of Mark. He picked it because it was the quickest. He thought, get it over with, you know, pull the bandaid off quickly. And as he read the gospel of Mark, he had a profound sense of the presence of Christ our Lord. And that changed his life. From then on, he went deeper and deeper into his faith and more and more profoundly encountering Christ in all of the gospels and in the whole of scripture and in the liturgy of the church and in everything else. And so I thought, you know, this is something important. The gospel of Matthew is above all the gospel of the teachings of the Lord. It's based upon the Gospel of Mark, but it includes teachings and many other things as well. And the Gospel of Luke is based upon the Gospel of Mark, but it includes many stories about the Lord, which help us to appreciate his, of what it means to be related to Jesus, and many extra parables and things like that. But it's based upon the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of John is sublime. It's written after the Gospel of Mark, and it has a beautiful, profound meditation upon the glory of the Lord, the signs that show him to us, and the glory of the Lord even through his passion. But the first Gospel is the Gospel of Mark. 
It is the beginning. It is the first gospel. The first time ever anyone ever wrote a gospel was Mark. And uh, it speaks to us of the encounter with Christ, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And that is, after all, what life is all about. We need that. I need that, and I, I hope that in these times together it will be a spiritual benefit to, to all of us. So I thought, yes, the Gospel of Mark. But it's 16 chapters long, and one of the realities of uh, Lectio Divina is that you should take a little small portion to, you know, to gnaw about and you know, read over again and again. And that's basic to this type of prayer. But you know, we don't have to do everything in one, one night or one year even. Uh, I think to enter in deeply into a gospel, section by section, the whole of it, to meet our, our Lord himself in this way, that is the heart and center of who we are. And I think in the days that we face these days, so many things in life, we need that. We all need that. And so we'll just take it I, by breaking it into somewhat longer sections than usual, usually 10 to 15 verses. The verses, the sections, the portions this year are a bit, maybe 20 verses, 25 or so. And so I might speed up a little bit on some portions. But it's still, we can still meditate carefully, thoroughly, thoughtfully on these portions. We will get to about Mark chapter six. But then there's, after that, we will continue on. Another wise thing that I think it was Anthony Bloom said that, you know, you just live each day, live it to the full until you die, and then there you are. That's the mystery of time. We have all of it until we have none of it. We never have just some of it. Think about that. So here we go, we'll, we'll just do this. There's something else about the Gospel of Mark, which I will not do during the Lectio Divina, but I recommend to you. I'm gonna do it in some way, and I don't know how. And that is to read the whole thing in one shot, start to finish. I've done that with the Apocalypse, and that's 22 chapters. I had a group, I did spend a week teaching the Apocalypse, and then we just, with songs and music like, Hallelujah. That's from the Apocalypse. Uh, we pray, read the whole Apocalypse from start to finish. That's what was meant to happen. It was not meant to be analyzed. It was meant to be proclaimed aloud. Um, mind you, I had a coffee break at chapter 11. That was a feeling we're not as strong as our predecessors. <laughs> so, but this is only 15. So at some point, I'm gonna work out some way in which we can have a reading of the whole gospel. It won't be during the Sunday evenings because we, we can't do enough. It takes one hour and 22 minutes, not that I've timed it, uh, to read the whole gospel. And I've been reading, just to try to prepare myself, I've been reading different commentaries. Uh, Michael Mullins, a very good commentary from Ireland, he starts off talking about he just had a wonderful experience where the seminarians of his seminary all got together to read the whole gospel of Mark. It was a profound experience. And I've just been reading a, a very good commentary by Eugene Boring, and he says, he starts this commentary. The Gospel of Mark is meant to be read aloud all at once, period. So let's, I encourage people to maybe get together in groups, about an hour and a half, set it aside, read it aloud. Maybe go around, get five people, and one, two, three, four, five, one, two, you know, whatever. I recommend it to get a sense just in one 
experience. That's how it's meant to be experienced. However, we cannot do that in Lecture Divina, uh, but we will enter into this. And so, the Gospel of Mark is the first Gospel. It is the one in which we make this direct and profound encounter with Christ. People from the days of Papias who said that Mark was Peter's secretary have sometimes heard the voice of Peter in the, in the Gospel of Mark. It's very blunt. It's, uh, you know, Luke is, my dear Theophilus, how thing people have said that he's very smooth, you know, this kind of a thing. And, and Matthew is very organized. You know. and, and of course, John is swinging away, the eagle flying high. But Mark just begins the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Boom, we're off. Away we go. He's plain, straightforward. And uh, it's, it's, it's something when we've begun. So let us now enter into this uh, experience, the beginning of this experience of the gospel of Mark. And uh, we journey forward deeper and deeper into this encounter with our Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us now let go of all those things which so weigh us down, all the worries and cares which distract us. Let them go so we may be able to hear the voice of God. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Let us ask God's forgiveness for those sins within us and those attractions we have and burdens we have and all the, the, the luggage and the garbage we have within us too often, things which block the pathway of God to our hearts. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, who shall prepare thy way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And there went out to him all the country of Judea, and all the people of Jerusalem. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and had a leather girdle about his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the thong of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens opened and the spirit descending upon him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. Thou art my beloved son, with thee I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God, 
and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, and believe in the gospel. And passing along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That says everything, the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is the beginning of the gospel, and it brings us to the one who rules the universe. The beginning of the good news. This is the first time anyone ever wrote a gospel, and he called it a gospel. We're used to that, we hear it all the time. But this was new. The good news, God's spell in Old English, good news. We should think about that as we live the gospel. We should think of living the good news. It is that news of rescue. Rescue for us in times we're enslaved, rescue for others. We need to offer the gospel with invitation. It is the good news. Sometimes I think Christians offer the gospel as the bitter pill, not the good news. You know, I will grimly serve the Lord, whatever comes. I hope you do too. You know, this is not quite the way we win the world for Christ. It is the good news. We need ourselves to be freed and experience that encounter with our Lord that does that and share it with others. We offer the invitation of the good news. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It comes from him, it's his gospel, and it's about him, it's his gospel. Of Jesus, Yeshua, the rescuer, the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ. And more than that, the Son of God. This is the earliest of all gospels, it is the one which does not express so clearly as in, for example, the Gospel of John, where John recalls the words of the Lord, you know, before Abraham was, I am. But the first line of the first Gospel, which is the, most, the one which stresses most of all the cross of Christ, most of all the humanity of Christ, more than any of the others, the first line says, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is the Lord. And so let's reflect upon that and maybe spend our lifetime trying to, trying to appreciate the meaning of this explosive opening line. I remember once at the Biblical Institute, which is a very tough school in Rome. <laughs> we have Greek and Hebrew and all these things. They have a big exam at the end, and it wasn't my year, but it was the year before mine when I was doing the, my licentiate there. And I, I, as I recall, 
the, the final exam for which people had, you know, four or five hours, it simply had this question. Comment on chapter one, verse one of the Gospel of Mark. Takes at least three or four hours to do that. <laughs> Takes a lifetime to live it. So let's think about that now in our own lives. As I'm going about wherever God has called me, what does each one of these words say to me? And let's take a few seconds to think about it and then spend the rest of our life thinking and acting on it. The beginning of the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face who shall prepare thy way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Actually, that's a mistake. Mark doesn't worry about these things and neither does the Holy Spirit. It's a collection of verses uh, from Isaiah, but also from Malachi and various other. It's, it's a combination, but Isaiah is the most important. So. He just says Isaiah. Some of the manuscripts say it uh, is written by the prophets, but we don't worry about that. Maybe that itself is a bit of a lesson for us, not to get hung up on unimportance. It's basically Isaiah. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, and notice he's going back. The twigs and branches get lonely unless they're connected to the roots. We go back to the prophets. We need to have that. I know Robert Barron has a great thing on evangelization, and one of them is, as I recall, that we got to kind of remember our history. We've got to keep connected to our Old Testament roots. We, snipping off the roots is never a healthy way of doing gardening or anything else. So we go back to the prophets. It's amazing. Think of, um, well, I know in the book, of, uh, the book of the Apocalypse, there are no quotations, but almost there are you know, dozens and dozens of references to Isaiah. And the same through the, through the New Testament. They're always referring to the prophets. So we look back to learn. That's why in our reading of the sacred scriptures, we need to read the whole of the word of God. We need it all. and See how it foreshadows the coming of Christ. There was a heretic, Marcion, who cut out of the New Testament everything that referred to the Old Testament. You get a very small New Testament. So we don't, we don't go that way. We, we see the whole. So we look back to Isaiah the prophet, who is very much quoted in the New Testament and Malachi and a few others here. Behold, I send my messenger before thy face who shall prepare thy way. The messenger goes before the face of the Lord to prepare the way. And we know John the Baptist does that too. And we think of the ways people go before the Lord to prepare his way. That's what we're called to do through baptism and confirmation. We're called to go before the Lord to prepare his way. And we're thankful for the others we encounter in our life who do that for us. We're called to make straight the way of the Lord. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. We need to think of that. We don't have a simple encounter with the Lord. Very often we we find in our, our life there are things that block the pathway of God to our hearts. And so there is someone who goes ahead of the Lord to prepare the way. And think also of what Mark is quoting here. 
from Isaiah and the other prophets. He's talking about John the Baptist who will appear and prepare the way for someone. And what he says is, behold, I send my messenger. John the Baptist is foreshadowed. Before thy face who shall prepare thy way, prepare the way of the Lord. So now, in the Old Testament, that meant prepare the way for God to enter into and to encounter his people. Prepare the way of the Lord. That's what the prophets did. Prepare the way of God to come into this world. And he's speaking of John the Baptist preparing the way for God. And so, as strongly as in the Gospel of John, the Gospel of Mark, for the second time, in about three verses, tells us who Jesus is. And that's in many ways at the heart of this whole gospel as we pray it over these, this year and these years. The question we need to ask ourselves is who is Jesus? And who am I as his disciple? Always it comes back to that. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus in my life? Who is Jesus and who am I and what has he called me to do? As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before thy face who shall prepare thy way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Let's just pray over that now and reflect upon it. What blocks the path of the Lord? in my life? What do I need? Who do I need to make that path straight? How can I offer that to others? How do I prepare for the coming of the Lord? Am I ready? And if I'm not, what should I do? John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And there went out to him all the country of Judea and all the people of Jerusalem, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. He prepares the way of the Lord. And the thing that gets in the way of the Lord is sin. And so the first thing John the Baptist does is try to clear out the, the underbrush, clear the way. Sometimes, I, I remember hearing in my, my own hometown of Guelph when John Galt landed there and arrived there in uh, 1827. I'm reading an account one somewhere and it said he, he had a whole bunch of people with axes to cut the street that's now McDonald Street or McDonald Street up to the Church of Our Lady to get access to clear away the trees and the brush to make a path, which is crowned right now by my home parish, Church of Our Lady, celebrating 125th anniversary this year. But that's it. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness. He, he came from outside where people see things a bit more clearly. He wasn't caught up in all the stuff. He, 
You know, you get a little distance, you can get a bit of perspective. That's why we have to go in the wilderness from time to time. Let's remember when, he, when the Hebrews were in Egypt, they were so caught up in everything, they couldn't see straight. So they had to get out into the desert where they can, everything is stripped away. And they can see God, and they can see themselves, and things are heightened. Sort of like in medical things where they put a little dye in so you can see things more clearly. Well, that's what the wilderness does. That's why we need to go on retreats from time to time. That's why we have a spiritual year at the seminary. And John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. John the Baptist is brisk, repent, but it's forgiveness, freedom, it's mercy. It is in mercy that we are chosen, as our Holy Father says. Speaking in his own experience as a young man, how he often speaks about Pope Francis as a young, a 17-year-old. It was in the experience of repentance, the forgiveness of sins, that he came to this moment of, of acknowledgement of God in his life. So too it is. That's why we need to get to confession regularly, get out into the wilderness regularly, to see straight, clear away the shrubbery and the, the, all the garbage and stuff so we can prepare the way of the Lord. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That's the great gift of baptism. We're washed clean. And of course, this is just the baptism of John the Baptist. The one who comes later brings the baptism with the power of the Holy Spirit, which is what we receive when we're baptized. That's the last thing Jesus says at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. Go, baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's the waters of baptism give us new life. We're fresh, we're free, we're clear. And of course, because we stumble right after that and again and again, he gives us the extension into time of that dimension of baptism, which is the sacrament of reconciliation. For after his resurrection, the first, one of the first things he did was say, your sins are forgiven. You know, whose sins you forgive, they are forgiven. So this is all foreshadowed here. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And there went out to him all the country of Judea and all the people of Jerusalem. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan confessing their sins. And that's a good start. We're only four verses into the gospel and already we're preparing the way of the Lord, confessing our sins, getting ready. That's why we begin mass with Lord have mercy. First, we have that purgative way, that purification. Then we need to be illuminated. We need to understand and see, and that will come. And then we are in union with the Lord. Not always necessarily in first, second, third. It's always going on together. But first, it's the purification. John prepares the way through purification. And so too must we, through baptism, through the distance of the desert that allows us to see straight, and not be confused by all of our complexities and through the great gift of forgiveness. Let's just ask the Lord to help us, each one of us, to look at those things that weigh us down. What is it? What's blocking the way for the Lord in our hearts? What do we need to be washed of, cleansed of? What sins, pride, anger, envy, greed, laziness, lust, gluttony, what is it that is in the way? The Lord does not want our time, our short time in this earth, 
to be wasted with all that garbage. He prepares us, he gives us freedom. So let's just ask the Lord for his forgiveness for those things in our lives which prevent us from seeing him and from loving him and loving our neighbor. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. I've slightly amended the translation there to bring it more up to date. But there's John, pretty austere. You know, he, it's in the palaces of kings that you have fine garments, but John really was strict. And um, maybe in that, he, that's a sign. It's a bit of a sign. The prophet sometimes, this is, you know, very simple clothing. He didn't let himself get caught up in all kinds of things that might distract him from his mission. Often that he himself was almost like a walking, talking desert. He was, you know, with the camel's hair and the locusts and wild honey. I, I'm very glad John the Baptist lived on them. Uh, but I don't think I'm quite up to that. But it's a, good to appreciate the point. It was very simple. And we do need, uh, you know, we have times in our life we need to, to really, all of us, look at how often we're just absorbed in all kinds of distracting things. Well, if there's one person who is undistracted, it's John the Baptist. He, and even his clothing was a sign to the people that he had one thought, and that was God. Even his enemies respected him for that. And it's funny, we have a parallel to John the Baptist, St. Thomas More, both of them killed over a question of the king's wife. Both of them prophetic and strong and true. One of them wearing the robes of state, although he did have a hair shirt underneath, and the other camel's hair and a leather belt. The details are not so important, but the fact is important. We need to look to John, the great John the Baptist, greatest of all, and this wonderful prophet, and ask St. John to help us to see as clearly as he did. And if there are things in our lives that distract us, then let us try out the locusts and wild honey and camel's hair and things like that. But let us try whatever it may be to get rid of things that block us from seeing as clearly as John the Baptist, from loving as clearly, as purely, as truly. It may take a different physical form, but we've got to look to John the Baptist and think of that. Because he preached repentance and he lived what he talked about. And it says the line before, everyone came out to see him. All these people who were filled with all kinds of other things, they were attracted by the austerity and the purity and the integrity of this prophet. And if we will only do that in our lives, whatever it may be, perhaps in a different style, sartorially, but wherever we are, 
then that's what we're called to do, and that the truth attracts. We never fear that we're going to turn people off or whatever, or be timid because of that. May we have the courage of John the Baptist. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the thong of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He was pure and strong and courageous. He was a man of integrity, but he was also humble. All kinds of people were flocking to hear him. He was a star, as prophets go. All of Jerusalem and Judea, hanging on his every word. That can kind of go to your head. So he says, no, the one I am leading, preparing the way for, that's who we should be attentive to. Remember in another gospel, he says, we hear his words, he must increase, I must decrease. And that can be a prayer we should pray as well. It's expressed a little differently in Mark in these words. Christ must increase, I must decrease. I must know who I am. And I must know that I am called to prepare the way for the Lord, but that I am not the Lord. The problem in our life comes when we begin to think that we're God. Whether we you know, theoretically think it or not, we begin to act as if we think that we're God. We don't know who we are. John knew who he was. He wasn't the Messiah. And he pointed the way to the one who was greater than him. Lord, help us to know who we are, to have our whole life directed to the Lord who is the Messiah, and to serve him, to prepare the way for him, to be what he invites us to be. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens open. The heavens ripped open, it says. He saw the heavens open and the spirit descending upon him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, thou art my beloved son, with thee I am well pleased. Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We know that Jesus was baptized by John in the Jordan. And of course, there's a bit of a problem with this since people are baptized for the repentance for, of sins. And in the other Gospels, they make it a bit more clear what Jesus is doing. He obviously doesn't need to be baptized by John. John says, I am not worthy to untie his sandals, but he is baptized to enter into, to experience that which is in the lives of those whom he is called coming to save, to serve, to take his path in the line of sinners, though he is himself not a sinner, to enter into this world, or to use an expression these days, the shepherd is acquiring the smell of the sheep. He is getting in there with them, 
He's not standing back in aloofness, though he could have. He had no need to be baptized. But he comes. And much of that is discussed in the other Gospels, but not here. Here, St. Mark says, in those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, was baptized by John of the Jordan. And what Mark stresses is the great theophany, the great appearance, the experience where God breaks through into this world, as he does at the Transfiguration, as he does at Mount Sinai. As he came up out of the water immediately, he saw the heavens opened and the spirit descending upon him like a dove and a voice came from heaven, thou art my beloved son, with thee I am well pleased. And now 11 verses into the gospel of Mark, we hear once more, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God, the beloved son. This is the heavenly father saying, thou art my beloved son, with thee I am well pleased. It is the Lord. And this divine experience marks the entry of Jesus into his mission. It is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit himself. It calls from us awe, wonder. It is like in the other, other gospels too, where it says, he, he does not speak, he speaks with authority and not like the scribes and Pharisees. It's people come to Jesus for that. It is something extraordinary. It's like I remember once hearing of a St. John Bosco, that some young, a young man who was so influenced by him that when he saw him on the street, he walked towards him right through a plate glass door just to get to him. Holiness does that, and that's just a saint. This is the Lord. Just, this is my beloved son. With thee I am well pleased. So let's just ask the Lord to fill us with awe and wonder and gratitude as we enter into this gospel in which we meet the beloved son in whom the heavenly father is well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beasts and the angels ministered to him. Do you notice how often Mark uses the word immediately? 42 times. It's a lot. <laughs> He's subtle, he is not. And immediately the Spirit drove him out into the wilderness. The Spirit who comes upon him, then off to the wilderness he goes. And that is a pattern we see. He does not, the Spirit does not send him out on the mission to preach. That's next. No, no, no. First, the wilderness, then the preaching. Paul had his experience on the road to Damascus. He checked out the doctrine with the apostles and then he went off to Arabia, to the wilderness, to meet the Lord, to see, to deepen, not to study as to pray and to be. 
and so do the saints down through history, Ignatius of Loyola, off to Manresa, then the life of journey. St. Augustine Seminary, the spiritual year, which is not just sort of, you know, it, it's, it's off to the wilderness to meet the Lord, mano a mano with the Lord, there we are. It's to listen, to strip away those things which are distracting, like, oh, I left my blackberry behind. Uh, get rid of all that, clear it away. And we do not ask the seminarians in the spiritual year to dress with camel's hair, with leather belts, and we do not only feed them locusts and wild honey, but I'm thinking, why not? Why not? <laughs> Quick, I'll call the rector and change the plan. But the plan is, the spirit drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for 40 days, tempted by Satan. And that too happens when we step back. You know, people think of uh, you know, monks, contemplative monks, running away from the world and all that, not at all. Three o'clock in the morning, there's nowhere to go, you know, with the Lord. All the little things, we flee by all our busy, busy, busyness. That's, those are the people running away from things. It's us when we're doing that. We strip it away, then we're there, right straight there, face to face with God, with ourselves, with our neighbor. That's what we need, and then we need to, to learn from that and grow in that. He was in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan. I always used to say to my seminarians when I was in formation that after ordination, your temptations double. Have a nice day. <laughs> you know, there you are. Well, that's true of all of us after everything. After marriage, after religious profession, after baptism, for that matter. It's not, uh, we go through, it's not like there's no magic bullet. It's nothing, we're not dealing with cheap and superficial things. We're dealing with deep, profound things. And there, but he's with the wild beasts. And the angels ministered to him. That kind of glorious desert experience is very important. And so it's good to make a retreat regularly. It's good to spend a little time every day in the wilderness, whichever way it may be. A one hour in adoration before Lord and the Blessed Sacrament is what Bishop Sheen recommends to priests that many others spend whatever time like that. Once a week, the Lord God says Sabbath time to step back into a kind of wilderness or do a palace in time where we let all the other unimportant things and get our heads straightened out again. Once a month, I used to go when I was in Edmonton, I would head off to the, the Carmel near Devon and I could not always once a month, but pretty often to spend a day once a year we should spend a week on retreat. And in a lifetime, how about 10 months going deep with the Lord? Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled that the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So now he is ready. 
the way is prepared. He's had that profound experience where we see the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit withdrawn to the wilderness. Then, now he begins, now. After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee and what he was preaching is the good news of God. And that's what all of us are called to preach in every different way, the good news of God. And what does that mean? Saying the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. That's the good news of God. God is near. Repent and believe in the gospel. Is that the good news of God? Yes, it is. Austere John the Baptist says, repent and believe in the gospel. The Lord Jesus says, repent and believe in the gospel. We need ourselves to be purified and then let in the good news. We've got to prepare the way of the Lord, each one of us, and say, Lord, purify me, help me. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is not the false, schlocky Jesus created out of our own vain imaginings to wave his hands over our whims and fancies. This is the real Lord Jesus who says, repent and believe in the gospel. This isn't Tinkerbell or something like that. The kind of Jesus shaped to ratify our whims and our desires. This is the Lord who comes to purify us and bring us the good news, to bring us life. And it is only our Lord who we must serve. We must not create him as our society does when people say, well, what would Jesus do? Well, what Jesus would do is say, repent and believe in the gospel. That's the real one. That's why we, our Christian life, we just can't afford anymore. I don't think we ever could to leave, live at a sort of a superficial level of this kind of religiosity or what the world, when it likes Jesus, sort of creates him to be, which is not the real Lord. We must serve the Lord that John the Baptist prepared for, the Lord who is our Lord. We must serve Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Then our lives are transformed. And we are who we're meant to be. And so he gives this message. And passing along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat bending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. He breaks into their life right in the midst of their busy world. They're out there doing their work. That's where we encounter Christ. He comes upon us unannounced. Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw them. They were casting the nets because they're fishermen. That's what fishermen do. And so he took them where they were and said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He said, follow me. But he also said, follow me. He didn't say, learn my teaching. 
and I will make you whatever. He said, follow me, and the rest will follow later. This is so important. This is what Pope Benedict pointed out in his book on Jesus. Other teachers, and so here's my teaching, follow my teaching. No, no, it's follow me. It is Jesus, it is the Lord. The person of our Lord Jesus Christ is central. And then we find out what are your teachings. We're not here to proclaim Christianity. We're here to follow Christ. That makes all the difference. And then we learn Christianity. And then we try to live Christianity. But the first step is follow me because he is Jesus Christ, the son of God, the beloved son with whom the father is well pleased. He is the Lord. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. And so must we. How can we resist? How can we let our little gods control us that are so shallow and false? When Jesus calls, he who is we need to drop everything and follow him. Take up our cross and come follow me, he says in today's gospel. Drop it all. Go for the pearl of great price for nothing else matches. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face and who shall prepare thy way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And there went out to him all the country of Judea and all the people of Jerusalem. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and had a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the thong of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens opened and the spirit descending upon him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, thou art my beloved son, with thee I am well pleased. And the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beasts and the angels ministered to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And passing along by the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. 
and immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat bending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death, amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end, amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.